Welcome to episode eight of the Effective Faith podcast. It's a weekly podcast answering questions about productivity, tools and gear to help us get stuff done, as well as theology, Christian living, and how to approach getting things done in a way that supports our overall well-being and helps us to honor Jesus better. For some of us, I'm aware, the idea of history conjures up some really, really bad emotions. We think of old, dusty books, bland, boring covers. We think of endless hours learning facts, dates, people long dead. We think of events that happened so long ago, they just couldn't possibly be relevant today. For others, we we love history. There's magic, there's wonder to the ages past, and we just we just can't get enough. But as a Christian, I have encountered a surprising lack of interest in our knowledge of church history from my fellow believers. This, I think, is a tragedy. This, I think, opens us up to many potential dangers, and it lessens our understanding of the gospel and of God's power and of God's grace. Now, this podcast, it might ruffle a few feathers today, I fear. That's not meant to happen in an unkind way. And it's not meant to be done in a way that asserts that I'm 100% right on everything I say here. I'm more asking questions than I am giving any definite answers today. So today we're thinking about church history. And it's my view that every Christian should be a student of church history. And I'm going to try try and state my reasons for this in a positive way rather than in a negative way. Now, I don't mean that every Christian needs to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all of the events and dates and facts and figures that have led us from the resurrection of Jesus Christ right up to today. I don't mean that every Christian needs to read and to have read all of those great tomes of theology and history written by those who came before us. I don't even mean necessarily that every Christian needs to be reading book after book after book on church history. I mean that we shouldn't think of church history as irrelevant. We shouldn't avoid books from the past. And we shouldn't avoid books about the past. These should instead be incorporated into our regular diet of books and our regular diet of podcasts that we listen to. And so I'll end uh, today's podcast with some recommendations for us. And I've got five reasons to give today why every Christian should be a student of church history. Number one, studying church history is an expression of humility. One of the reasons why any study of history is often rejected is because of this bias that we naturally feel towards our own time and our own culture. We consider that because humanity is on this great path of discovery of of greater and greater knowledge and understanding and technology, uh, understanding the universe, then the people of the past were, well, they were less enlightened. They were less knowledgeable than us. They had less to say. And therefore, we don't need to listen to them. And it's less valuable for us to do so. 
This is actually quite an arrogant view. It it presupposes that people from the past were simple people, less intelligent than us, and can therefore just be dismissed or ignored. It is an expression of humility to acknowledge that our own time, we ourselves, are not in fact the high point of human history so far. And that therefore, there are things that we can learn from those in the past. Number two, following on from uh, number one there, it helps us to understand our own culture better. As Christians, there's a tendency to see the way that we do things now as being part and parcel of faithful ministry. Not, Not everything we do, but it is hard to discern, isn't it? What is the core of a genuinely faithful gospel ministry? And what is just cultural for our particular context and our particular time? Studying church history, or indeed other cultural contexts around the globe today, can prompt us to question our assumptions about how to do things and therefore help us to grow in that. Let me give you a couple of examples. (coughs) The current model for teaching and preaching, uh, teaching and preaching the Bible, at least within the UK, is to seek to distill the passage of the Bible that we're teaching, distill it down to a single main point. And then from that, to build out a single main application. This process includes removing all clutter from our sermons. And there's a view that goes along with that, that the optimum length for a sermon is 25 to 30 minutes. And increasingly, I'm seeing a version of this approach taken with writing of new Christian books as well. It has many merits, and I'm not intending to discuss uh, discuss them here, the relative benefits and uh, costs of this approach. I simply want to point out that this is not how it was always done, and it is likely not how it will always will be done into the future. You see, the the Puritan method of preaching, for example, was much more along the lines of, well, this passage of the Bible teaches us five things. But in order to understand those five things, we need to first understand these 10. But before we can do that, we need to understand these 20. That's an oversimplification, of course, but suffice to say, they would not have considered it to be a good sermon to be as focused in scope as our sermons are today. As I said, the aim is not for me to say that one approach is better than the other, but it's more to highlight that just the fact that the great preachers of the past, well, they wouldn't have made it through week one of MTS in the UK with their dense and lengthy sermons. Studying church history, and in particular how ministry was done in the past, can really help us in the now ask questions about our own ministry model and our own ministry culture and what influences are shaping it. Much of that will be good and right for our context and our culture, but some of it won't be. For example, you know, I've often wondered if the push for shorter sermons and easier books might simply be pandering to the sinfulness of Christians in some way, both in our worldly overcommittedness 
and unwillingness to give time and also our unwillingness to give our energy and our focus to engage deeply on things. Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but if we don't ask the questions, then we'll never know the answers. And studying church history is a way that helps us to ask those questions. Number three, studying church history, it's really encouraging, incredibly so. In fact, God has been at work in the lives of Christians and through Christians since the day of Pentecost. I say that because that being the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that is when Christian experience as we know it today first began. The study of church history is the study of how God has used weak men to achieve his purposes. There's a danger when we have just a mere passing knowledge of the basics to hear the names of men like Whitfield and Wesley, Cranmer and Calvin, to consider these men giants, titans even, with gifts and capacity far beyond anything us mortal men today could ever possess. There's a tendency to consider these men as being equivalent to the, the demigods of Greek mythology. And therefore, our passing knowledge of church history, it actually robs Christ of his glory. Currently at our church here where I'm at at the moment, we're working through Hebrews and 2 Corinthians in our, in our Sunday sermon series. We're approaching Hebrews 11, the great cloud of witnesses, a multitude of men and women who through their faith in God and through the power of God at work in them did amazing things. Now, I count here persevering in faith throughout the whole of your life to be an amazing thing. This, the writer says, is a massive encouragement to us today to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But if we look at these people and we perceive these men and women to be superhuman in some way, in and of themselves, that's actually discouraging as we consider that we could never emulate their greatness. And so we could never run the race that they have run. And in 2 Corinthians, we've seen time and time again that Paul, the Apostle Paul, boasts in his weakness because it is his weakness that showcases the power of Christ at work today and not the power of Paul. This is a key mark of authentic and faithful ministry. Studying church history is encouraging because it showcases the power of Christ at work through weak and fallible men. It's not blasphemy of any kind to point out that some of the reformers or the other greats of Christian history had some fairly major flaws, blind spots and faults. Actually, it showcases the grace of God that men such as this were used to do so much. If you want to be encouraged, study what God has done through the lifetime of the church so far. If you want to be encouraged further, then study deeper into the lives of the weak and sinful men that he's used to do that. Number four, it can actually help us with some of the cultural issues that we face today, both within the church and outside it, and further give us humility as we do so. Now, there's quite a lot going on in the UK evangelical church today, lots of reports 
of a lot of mistakes being made by a lot of men in leadership. Now, I, I don't here have in view cases of criminal abuse or anything like that in any form. And I want to make that crystal clear. The gathering of God's people will not be perfect until we gather around the throne in heaven. Studying church history showcases that imperfection and the differing ways in which it's manifested over time. It seems like every generation fails spectacularly in some way or another. And our generation and our culture is no different. A study of history highlights how issues within the culture of our churches and problems are inevitable in every time and every place. We should expect this. It's consistent with our theology of sin. It's consistent with our theology of living in a fallen world. And whilst we should not and should never condone these cultural problems, nor consider them to be assets or or good things within our churches, and some do that, we do need to have the humility to accept that our own culture and our own generation will be imperfect, even though we may not be able to see it. Studying church history can help to clear up our vision on these things and guard us against the risk of swinging the pendulum to the opposite extreme. It can also help us respond better to persecution facing Christians from outside the church. I have heard it implied that the cultural climate that we face today is simply of a different order than any faced before by the church throughout her history. A simple study of church history, or indeed persecution today in other cultures around the world, would tell us that that's just not true. And that can help prepare and equip us for facing this persecution in the future. Number five. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been convicting the world of sin and opening our eyes to all truth. He does this through the inspiration of the finished word of God and then the illumination of believers to better and more deeply understand that finished word. Studying church history, reading Christian books written by those who came before us can open our eyes to some of this. We see how the church of the past was convicted of sin and how the church of the past understood the scriptures. Now, the Bible is the measure of all of this, and we shouldn't read or study church history or the teachings of those in the past and just accept it about what it teaches us about sin and the word of God without first reading the Bible for ourselves. But we can use this to help deepen our understanding and grow our own personal holiness. Uh, I quote Stephen J. Nichols on this. He's a church historian working at Ligonier Ministries over in America. He says, I find it interesting that Christians in the 21st century think so little of what the Holy Spirit has taught the church for the last 20 centuries. And so I hope you're persuaded that every Christian should be a student of church history. But but how? How do we go about that? Well, just lastly, my honest recommendation is that you start with a podcast. Stephen J. Nichols, the guy I just quoted, he has a podcast called Five Minutes in Church History. 
does exactly what it says on the tin. Each episode is five minutes long, covers a different event, personal place within church history. It is excellent. But if you want some books to look at, then I've put together a list of church history books to get you started on the books page of my website, effectivefaith.org. There's a link in the show notes, I think, to that page. But if not, you can go to the website and find the book page. Head over there. My top introductory recommendations would be uh, Five English Reformers by J.C. Ryle. There's a mini-series by Mike Reeves, a trilogy uh, on the shoulders of giants, the breeze of centuries and the unquenchable flame covering different periods of church history. If you're looking for something a bit meatier, then there's now five volumes of Nick Needham's series, 2000 Years of Christ Power. That comes highly recommended. I've not read them all yet, but they are on the shelf ready to be read soon and they come highly recommended to me by by friends that I trust. So that would be a great place to start. Now if you found this valuable then please do like this podcast and subscribe on whatever platform you use and also share it on social media that would be really kind of you thank you. And if you've got questions uh, that you'd like me to consider in future episodes then email effectivefaith15.58 at gmail.com or use the contact form available on effectivefaith.org. And I leave you today with a quote which comes at the end of the introduction to every episode of Five Minutes in Church History where Stephen Nichols says, this is our family history.